So when I sit down with the sponsee, I'm going to start it from the sponsor point of view, and I'll, I promise I will dovetail into my own fifth step work. Um, the first thing I say is, okay, so let's make sure that we know that God is in the room. Because it says that you're, you're sharing this with another person and God. But I'm here to witness, right, your experience. As I send a sponsee into the fourth step, I say, let's go into this with an air of curiosity. This is not your admission of all things done wrong. This is, what did you do that you cannot let go of? And why do you think you did it? And there are some questions to help us understand that. In the, so I, I want to talk briefly about columns three and four. In column three, um, the way I was asked to do it the last time and the way I now take my sponsees through it, most of what Rhea covered is, is the ideal, right, of what you find out about yourself in your fourth step. Ten out of ten times, we find that out in the fifth step. People begin to see their own patterns. My fears were, I am unlovable, I am not enough. I, here's the worst one, the one that just nauseates me, but it was true and it was everywhere. I'm not celebrated enough. Mm-hmm. Just okay, good. My people, <laughs> right? Because I, I was mortified that I was that my own selfishness and and need for um, validation was really what was driving the worst of my behavior, mm-hmm. right? So I asked them to. So here's what you think you did wrong. Just let's just go down just a little deeper, right? And at the top of every page, please write, God guide my hand. Mm -hmm. And let me see what you see with the same unconditional love that you see it, right? One of the things I was told early on was God will never love you less or more than you are loved right now. Mm -hmm. Wow. However you call that, right? You call that God, the universe, the divine creation. You are always, always loved from the moment you took that breath Mm. until this second and forever. So let us take that as true, right? This whole thing is a counterintuitive experiment Mm. to get us out of ourselves. So let's take that as true. You are loved. And all you have done, you have done for a reason. Other people can judge it. God never has. Ever. And ain't that a bitch? Because there is shit that I want him to say, nope, that's wrong. They did you wrong. Right? Right? I have a sponsee who, God bless her, she's she's precious and simple in her outlook, right? If If God is everything, why do children suffer? It is so almost impossible to say to someone who asks that question because we think that is wrong. God carries no judgment. Right? No, that ain't right. That ain't right. That ain't right. Babies don't have cancer. That ain't right. Because we have all come here to do a thing. We've all come here to learn to love ourselves and each other and let God guide the way. That's what we've come here to do, however they do it whether you do it in the military or you do it in a 12-step program or you do it running a, you know, running a Fortune 100 company. We're lucky to find out that's what's true. 
That is the miracle of the 12 steps. We come here to find out why we're really here, right? So in three, we made a decision. That is always a surprise um, to anyone I sponsor. I always say, so you've made your decision now. We are essentially, step three is going to be running, is the undercurrent of every step we take from now on. Because now we are finding out how do I turn my will and my life over to care of God as I understand him? Well, partly you find out because you find out where you were an asshole, right? We're going to like really blow that open. Um, and, then, and then you're going to find out why. This is the only time we find out why. Because later in the book it says the how and why of it is we had to quit playing God, it didn't work. The end. Right? The end. Because I was afraid. Because I had... I had preconceptions and misconceptions but fear you know it tells us that we have to look at where we were self-seeking and selfish and dishonest and fearful but in the four columns it shows us fear 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 it is the corrosive thread that runs through our lives every reason we are selfish self-centered and dishonest is because we're afraid um, and so let me just throw this in now and we can talk about it later if you want to. But my, in, in the way that I do it, after I get all my fears down in my fourth column, I take all my fears and go back to the beginning and do columns three and four on my fears. Because mm-hmm. I'll tell you I'm afraid of what you think. But what I mean is I'm afraid I'm unlovable. Mm. Right? And so when I get down to, the, to really the driving fears then I've got something to, to go to God with, right? Because I have to knock my delusion out of it, right? I'm just afraid that I am unlovable. I am afraid I am unlovable. And now I'm going to tell someone who I like pretty much, I don't know if I trust them completely because I don't really trust anybody completely, and we're going to sit down in a room, just her and I, for who God knows how long, <clears throat> and the first thing we're going to do is we're going to allow for time. We're going to do it in a safe space. We are going to pray beforehand. And we are going to know that the truth will be revealed here. Hmm. Let me say that differently. A truth will be revealed here. Because I've got my truth, you've got your truth, and then there's capital T truth. Right? And the capital T truth, you know, brings the seasons. Like, it is, becomes more and more apparent to us what our fears are the more we live our lives and stay in honest communication with ourselves and God. Yeah. So <clears throat> we sit down, and I ask God to be in the room, and I ask them to know that I am present for what is about to come forward. I just want them to read. Don't tell me a story. Just read what you wrote. Because in the moment of doing it, that's what you meant. You don't have to fix it for me. You don't have to soft it, soften it, right? This is what you meant. So just tell me what you, just read it. And even though, and I, this happened for me too, even though I wrote every single word on those pages, when I start reading it, I go, oh my God, I can't believe I wrote that. I can't believe that's true for me. Huh. Right? And then we're literally six and a half hours into it. My sponsor goes, wait, let me guess. You weren't celebrated enough, <laughs> right? Because um, we as sponsees 
sit quaking with our truth in our lap and sponsors pray to stay awake (laughs) because we already love you we already get it most of it we've already seen right because we are who we are from the moment we meet someone until we find out who we really are and we take this to a higher power right we just turn all the lights on right I have a so there's soft light right and then there's this white daylight crap um, I look so much younger outside you can't imagine and in almost every uh, outlet in my house I've got soft white light but on the second floor I grabbed the bulb I got the ladder out I put it up I put the ladder away I turn it on I'm like oh my god it's daylight I don't like that light because you can see everything I like the softer light where you look younger and pretty. So anyway, all that being said, we turn up, we bring in all the daylight, right? Once we find out that we did what we did because we were afraid, and we were afraid of something we can't control, right? I'm afraid I am unlovable. God tells me otherwise. My sponsor tells me otherwise. You are loved. I love you now. And then I make her go away, because that's not true. That can't be true. You don't know me. She's like, oh, I pretty much do. Better than anybody else now. (laughs) Right? Because I've given her everything. And she helps me laugh at the things that are the hardest for me to hear. And she helped me find, and I will give you the, the story of the turnaround. When I was 12 years old, my father called and told me he didn't want to be my father anymore. And in a normal room where there aren't awake people doing God's work, people go, and I go, right? Now I've got you where I want you. Because I'm 57. 45 years later, let's go, girl. Right? We can't be carrying that all day long. What I found out later was he was an addict and an alcoholic and a physician. So he would shoot himself up with a speedball in the morning to get through his day. And he lived 20 minutes from his office. He'd have a half a case of beer down before he hit the door. He told me this later. As I came to understand addict, alcoholic, food addicts, behaviors, and I thought about the truth, the truths that my mother had shared with me when I was a baby and how much my father loved me and how he couldn't wait to see me when he came home from work. They divorced when I was two, so I don't remember being in my father's life, right? Um, what I understood when I'm doing my fifth step, my part was holding him as the villain and not applying the truth that I know to this alcoholic. He is perhaps spiritually sick like me. And the things you love the most you try to save. I believe he was putting me on dry land as his ship was sinking. Now I know. And with that information, with that truth, and I think that might be a capital T truth, I am open to the sickness 
that my father has and the version of love that he brings to the table. And I am aware that we are all carrying something, that we're all trying to work through something, right? We talked about the principles. The first principle of the traditions is unity. And what's important to understand is that unity begins wherever you are, whether you're at a meeting or in a grocery store. We are a part of. Because we know something that so many others do not, that God is everything. Right, so the language of the big book I talked about earlier, God is either everything or he is nothing. What was our choice to be? That question is not, what do you think? What else could you do? What other possible choice would you make? And when an atheist walks in the room, I go, okay, let's pretend that there is a higher power that we are all a part of. What if that energy runs through us all? Listen, freshman year biology taught me there was a God. As soon as you start talking about atoms and that this table and this book and my hands are made out of the same stuff just at a, in a different combination at a different speed, are you kidding me? Of course there's a God. Right? Like it makes, it, it makes perfect sense. It didn't complicate it for me at all. That's not the same thing as a religion. That's another room. That's another room. That ain't here, right? We just need to know that there's an energy that we feed or that we starve ourselves from. Because the thing that we have is will. Never confuse powerless with a lack of will. Because we are willful people. You know, Rhea talked about all the different ways that she had manipulated the story so that she felt better about what she was saying, how she was living. That is our will. When you are walking this path and you are truly on the road to recovery with God, I have a sponsee right now who is desperately... remolding her story to make it sound like the truth. And I know she's going to die. And I, and I got nothing. I got nothing. I've done it a hundred different ways. Tough love, soft love, more exercises, fewer. That decision is everything. And then you just build on it in four and in five. Because what begins to happen, and this is usually what I tell the people I start to work with right away, remember the miracles. You have had miracles in your life. Tiny, teeny, imperative miracle from this morning. I didn't, had no idea where I was supposed to come. I knew the building. There's a lot of doors in this building. <laughs> My friend Maria gets out of her car with a giant big book. I'm like, oh, right place, right? <laughs> These little crumbs that are dropped for us along the path, big or small, it's our job to remember that that's how we got here. Yeah. 
right? And so that's what I'm telling, that's what I'm helping a sponsee to see in a fifth step. Like, I get that he pissed you off. Now, wait a minute, let me back up. Please understand, we don't carry resentments like regular people, right? You cut me off in traffic, I'm going to the bakery, fuck you. Right? Like, we can make the smallest slight the worst thing that ever happened to me in my whole life. And that's what we write down. That's why you write down the stuff that, well, it's not that big a deal. I have a friend who says, write down the, write down the people who owe you an apology. Mm. Oh, all right? Oh, I got that list. But I wouldn't tell you I have a resentment. My mother, God bless her, she's joined Al-Anon at 78 because um, I wasn't an alcoholic. I'm 30, almost 32 years sober, but I'm not an alcoholic. Whatever. She'll get there. Um, but she, she came in. She said, I just talked to my sponsor about um, resentments. I don't have any. Mm. I said, yes, you do. And she was like, what do you mean? I said, you don't like it when I tell you to be quiet. You don't like it when I, like, and I gave her a list. She goes, oh, that's true. <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, because we, we who watch you know, right? We watch the ones we love and we know. And we also know that all I can do is pray. So the other important piece of information, I think, that I want to bring to the table. So when I was growing up and coming into adulthood, you could not die from having sex. AIDS was not on the radar. And I was in the theater. I think I could say, say no more. Um, <laughs> right. We were all, you know, exploring ourselves. Oh, Lord have mercy. Um, so when I did my sex inventory and I, you know, answered all the questions for every single one. And I say to my sponsor, okay, so he was single. I was single. We were grown. It was fine. Well, you know, no regrets, no bitterness. No, what would you do differently? Nothing. It was fine. She said, oh, okay, so where was God in that? I said, oh, fuck you, now I got, I've never had good sex in my whole life. <laughs> because I, what do you mean, where was God in that? Like, I closed the door, I closed the God door when I'm having sex. She's like, no, but that's the ideal, you see. It may be what excites you, but honestly, it's about where do you find that spiritual connection where true intimacy happens. You know, I was once asked to speak on intimacy um, at a meeting, and I told, I happened to mention this to some friends. I was like, oh, I'm speaking on intimacy. And they were like, <laughs> and I said, no, baby. I would just as soon take my clothes off in front of you than tell you the truth. Mm. Intimacy is a whole other thing. That's not sex. Intimacy is knowing how I feel and feeling it while I'm with you and letting you feel how you feel in front of me without me taking it personally. Oh, that's exhausting. Right? That phrase, those two pieces of information, I was in my 50s before I found him. You know? I wasn't, I was no longer, I was no more ready to have an intimate relationship then I could have flown to the moon because I was living in judgment of myself. I was living in fear of what you thought. 
So your sexual ideal is how, how you want someone to show up for you. And then the sponsor always turns the tables and go, okay, so now that's what you have to give to someone else. Well, that's not what you said. No, but that's what the ideal is, right? It's how we're willing to show up for others. Um, I do want to mention quickly about the find the right person to tell it to. This book was written when there were no such thing as sponsors. This was a mail order program. So, mm. right? Like, so you literally had to find the rabbi, the priest, the, the nurse, the doc. People used to tell their doctors this stuff. Because those were the only closed-mouthed friends they had. Mm. Right? And this illness was taboo. Right? How, how many times have you been at the Thanksgiving table and it's like, well, why can't you, can't you just have a piece? Right? People don't get you. So, you have, so you're with the people who get you. That's who you tell your fist up to. Um, I do sponsor men, and uh, when we get to this sexual inventory, if they are uncomfortable with it, I tell them to find a man to tell. Right? But the truth is, our sexual inventory is not about, <laughs> forgive me on tape, it's not about the positions, okay? It's about the how we showed up in the world. Right? And, how, and the, the integrity or lack thereof, the dignity or lack thereof that we brought to the table. Okay. Um, I'm thinking in the moment of being with the sponsees. Sometimes we will tell the truth in a way that suits us. <laughs> And now, we could all laugh heartily if you think about it, because that's all we did our whole lives. We'll tell the truth in the way that suits us. When you get into a fifth step, I actually had a woman say to me that she had been raped. And I was horrified, of course, but I knew that would come out on her fifth step, and we would under I would understand better the situation and how to help her, right? Because God is good all the time. And come to find out, she wasn't raped. She exchanged her body for substance. But she felt they should know, and therefore, no, baby girl. No, that was your choice. Because we don't feel like we have a choice in so many of the things we have done. So the decision that we've made, right, we pull it through four and five. You've made a decision to turn your will and your life over to the care of God as you understand him. You are making a decision to tell the truth about your resentments and fears and harms. Um, you also list your harms that are separate from any resentment. For instance, um, I hit, <laughs> this isn't true, but I'm just telling you it could be. Um, I hit a guy's car, I left without, right, leaving a note. That's a harm not attached to a resentment. Right, so it may not come up in your list of people, but it's something you still need to look at. Uh, let's talk about money, ouch. Mm. Right, so in the fifth step, um, I've got, God bless him, I've got a sponsee right now who's like, so my mom took care of my credit card, so that's good, and I thought, oh, he has no idea. Right, that's gonna be, on, that's gonna be an amends. You don't, our parents don't get to pay for our lives when we're grown. <laughs> right, self-supporting, that tradition, <laughs> that runs through our recovery is also in our personal lives, right? Um, so here's the formula and here's the miracle. 
even though we're not talking about nine today. Um, when I first, I went to college and high school in St. Louis, moved to Chicago, got sober in Chicago. Um, my roommate in St. Louis, apparently, I forgot, let me borrow $150 in 1987. I forgot, right? She says, are you ever going to give me that money? Now, I'm, this is 1999. Are you going to give me that money? I'm like, huh? What money? You, you know, I let you borrow $150. I said, oh, please. You did. I'm literally telling this woman, no, you didn't. She's like, I think maybe I did. think I would know. My sponsor said to me, were you sober? Oh, no. Well, then probably you owe her the money. Right? <laughs> oh, okay. So here's the math. Here's the formula. 10% interest for every year, not compounded, for every year that you've not paid that money back. So by the time I get to this formula, I owe her $750, which isn't much in the world, but it's a whole lot more than $150. Um, wow. Right. So her birthday's in November. Um, I call, I, we're never in the same city or state, but I'm calling her to wish her happy birthday. And... I'd already made the amends, and she had already told me that she's not taking the money. And so, of course, I went back to my sponsor and said, she doesn't want the money. She said, not, no, that's not how it works. You're giving her the money. The money's hers. You took it. I was like, oh, that's like a bank. Okay. <laughs> right? So I call her on her birthday, and she's, I said, how are you? She said, I'm great, except for the part. Oh, I, mm, let me back up and tell you this, because you need to know. She was a self-made woman, actor, voiceover artist, amazingly successful diagnosed with MS the same year of her marriage and now she can she well she can't walk now at all um, but at the time of speaking to her she was like she couldn't work anymore except except as a um, professional patient for medical schools because she doesn't have control of her body she doesn't have control of her voice like it doesn't work that way anymore so when she said I'm good except for the part where I poured a glass of water on my laptop and I'm like, oh, no. I said, well, what about, like, Geek Squad or whatever? She said, yeah, it's going to be, like, $750 to fix it. I said, that's great. <laughs> she said, what is wrong with you? I said, I owe you $750. She said, I told you I'm not taking that money. I said, no, you don't understand. It's your money. But because of the way I do my world, um, I've got on a card that I've carried with me for a year now, her name, her address, her phone number, my bad, the amends I owe her including a total of $750. I took a picture of it and sent it to her. I said, this is God. You can't get in the way. Wow. Right? Mm -hmm. So the formula is you owe money. You don't, have, you don't know how it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. P.S. I am not the person who has $750 mm -hmm. in the bank, but I had just won a lawsuit that I shouldn't have won, that I shouldn't have won. Ten years in the making, shouldn't have won. Not even supposed to tell you about it. That's how mad I shouldn't have won it. Um, and I got an award of $50,000 so I could pay that without blinking because God is good all the time. If I'd had to give her that money when, when I told her I owed it, oh, Lord, I'm at mercy. I would have had to get some jobs, <laughs> right? Like on top of the one I already had. So um, you get all that out there and you see who you are. Not the worst of you, not the best of you, but the truth about how you walked in the world before you made a decision to work for, serve, and love your creator.
work for, serve, and love your creator. So now there's been a shift in that decision. There's been an understanding because with every word has been complete and utter forgiveness. The definition of forgiveness that I love and have used now for 10 years, I was in a meeting in Canada and this guy said, you know, forgiveness is giving up all hope of a better past. And he keeps talking. I said, hold it. Say it again, real slow. <laughs> a better past. Giving up all hope of a better past. Duh. Right? Because, listen, I believe in a lot of magic, but going backwards ain't one of them. I can't change what happened. Not what happened to me. Not what I did. Not... 9-11. I can't change it. That piece of information brought me up seriously short. Because forgiveness is so much easier when I realize that all I'm hoping for is that you didn't do what you did. Or we didn't do what we did. Or what happened to me didn't happen to me. Because it did, and we are, and it is. Mm -hmm. Right? So I let them know that they are loved unconditionally as they were the moment they walked in the door. And not any of this will you die from because you've already been through it. And now when it says we go returning home, <coughs> well, first let me give you the promises of the fist up because that's the best, right? We can look the world in the eye. One, because we find out we're just the same. We're the same as you. I'm the same as you. You're the same as me. We're all the same. No bad guys. We can look the world in the eye. We can be alone at perfect peace and ease. Now, here's the deal. The decision you made that I, I, I want to turn my, life, my will on my life with the care of God as we understand him, I'm going to keep choosing to do that, right? This, the, the decision goes on. If you choose to go back into the lies you told yourself, I'm still not lovable, I'm still not good enough. Baby, I can't stop you. You are always welcome to pick up your resentments and take them with you again. But in this moment, you are free. And so I'm gonna suggest that you stay that way. Returning home, no. Our fears fall from us. Our fears fall from us because we understand that now I've chosen those fears. One of the best things an old timer told me was fear is not about right now. Fear is about projecting into the future, trying to control somebody else or trying to control an outcome. There's no such thing as fear right now unless you are in physical danger, which I'm pretty sure we're good, right? But we don't think of it that way. But, but my head, but my head, but my head. You have the power now, right? Power begins to flow into us. You have the power now to let that go. Because when you found out in your fifth step is that you've manufactured most of it anyway. We begin to feel the nearness of our creator. We may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we begin to have a spiritual experience. There ain't no going back now. 
you know too much, right? The feeling the drink problem has disappeared will often come strongly. We feel we are on the broad highway, walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. What I tell sponsees when I start working with them is my job is to get you through the steps, show you your part, and get you to God, because your recovery is between you and God. Like, I've got sponsees that I've taken through the steps, they've done their amends, and I, and I look at them and I go, mm, boy, that's going to hurt. Right, because they've already started on a different path, on a different habit that's going to bite them in the ass, and I know it. But it's not my job. It's none of my business, page 67 tells me so. The inventory is always mine, never the other man's. Not any part of what you have done is any of my business. How I choose to be in relationship with you, how I choose to interact with you, that's my problem. Returning home, we find a place where we can be quiet for an hour, carefully reviewing what we have done. We thank God from the bottom of our heart that we know him better. Taking this book down from our shelf, we turn to the page which contains the 12 steps, page 59. <laughs> carefully reading the first five proposals, we ask if we have omitted anything, for we are building an arch through which we shall walk a free man at last. I ask my sponsees to go online in that hour and find their arch so that they have it. This, is, this represents this fifth step on this time with me. It's because you're from St. Louis. <laughs> True story. Um, find it, hold on to it, still to this minute, when I see my arch, I have it on my computer, I have it on my phone, I have it, you know, I have it in a couple places. Every time I see it, I go, I'm free. I did the work. And now I can continue on this road. Mm. And that brings us to? Step six. Amen. Where wow. We, this is what separates the men from the boys, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, this is true. Mm-hmm. Um, do we want to stop and then start recording again or keep going? Yeah, we're good. Okay, fine. All right. I'm going to borrow this. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. Step six. So there's something really interesting I just want to point out about step five before we get to step six because they're connected. So if you go to page 72, it's the very first paragraph of Into Action. And it says, I just lost my pen. It says, having made our personal inventory, what shall we do about it? We have been trying to get a new attitude, a new relationship with our creator and to discover the obstacles in our path. We have admitted certain defects. We have ascertained in a rough way what the trouble is. We have put our finger on the weak items in our personal inventory. Now these are about to be cast out. Hmm. The words cast out, that's the language of exorcism. Um, Exorcism. Exorcism. Oh. Meaning (laughs) we're not doing anything to get rid of these things. We are acknowledging that they are there. We are identifying them. But we're basically showing the power that's going to take them out where they are. Hmm. Like, just so you know, like, this is it, please. (laughs) And something outside of us is going to come in and take them because I have tried to dislodge a lot of my character defects for a long time they have they're like stuck to me with gorilla glue (laughs) something else has to take them out my acknowledging them is not enough something else has to do it and I have to establish my willingness to be ready for them to go in order for them to be taken because it's one thing to say listen I know I do this (laughs) <laughs> Not convenient. I don't really like myself when I do it. But it sort of works for me a little bit. Like, 
I don't want to be a gossip per se, but the truth is I just don't want people to know I'm a gossip. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't mind being a selfish person if nobody knows, if everybody thinks I'm really nice, like, what do I care? I just want a good reputation. You know, I mean, Bill talks about this in um, the 12 and 12. What does he say? He says, one second, I'm going to find it. I'm going to find it. Oh, well. Okay, here we go. The key words entirely ready underline the fact that we want to aim at the very best we know or can learn. How many of us have this degree of readiness? In an absolute sense, practically nobody has it. The best we can do with all the honesty that we can summon is try to have it. Even when the best of us will discover to our dismay that there is always a sticking point, a point at which we say, nope, can't give this up yet. And we shall often tread on even more dangerous ground when we cry, this I will never give up. Mm. Such is the power of our instincts to overreach themselves. No matter how far we have progressed, desires will always be found which oppose the grace of God. Mm. So hold on, where does he say? Hold on. Okay, here we go. Whoa, I love this. What we must recognize now is that we exult in some of our defects. We really love them. Who, for example, doesn't like to feel just a little superior to the next fellow or even quite a lot superior? Mm -hmm. Isn't it true that we like to let greed masquerade as ambition? To think of liking lust seems impossible. But how many men and women speak love with their lips and believe what they say so they can hide lust in a dark corner of their minds? And even while staying within conventional bounds, many people have to admit that their imaginary sex excursions are apt to be all dressed up as dreams of romance. Self-righteous anger also can be very enjoyable. <laughs> when you are married, self-righteous anger, it, like, it comes right with I do, okay? <laughs> I, I do commit to being angry at you for breathing. <laughs> In a perverse way, we can actually take satisfaction from the fact that many people annoy us, for it brings a comfortable feeling of superiority. My husband is lucky to have me, okay? <laughs> he is lucky. There are times where he will look at me and say, I don't know what I would do without you, and I go, honestly, I worry. <laughs> Gossip, gossiped, barbed with our anger, a polite form of murder by character assassination has its satisfactions for us too. Mm. In the Torah, I'm Jewish, so in the Torah they talk about how when you gossip about someone, it's akin to murder. Why is that? Because you are taking their character and destroying it. Because even if the person you're talking to knows it isn't true, you've planted a seed, and they mm. will never look at that person the same way again. And I'll mm. tell you a story about that in a minute. Here we are not trying to help those we criticize. Mm. We are trying to proclaim our own righteousness. I am on a lifetime journey to make myself look good to you and me. <laughs> That's it. That's all I want. I don't give a crap what kind of person I am. I just want you to think I'm a good person. And I want to convince myself that I'm a good person. So why would I give up these things if they're serving me? Why? Everybody gossips. If I don't gossip, I'll have nothing to talk to other people about. <laughs> and if I don't get angry about certain things, they won't change. And if I don't demonstrate that anger, they won't know that something's wrong. I never, I grew up in a household where people punished with silence 
And so suddenly someone wasn't talking to you and you didn't really know why. But if you ask somebody else, they'd know because that person talked to them about it. (laughs) (laughs) It was, you never spoke directly to other people about what they did. Mm. You just got pissed at them, shut down, and just talked smack about them to everybody else. (laughs) And I still find myself doing that with my husband. And it actually came to a head last year because we got into a fight about something. And instead of talking to him, I called my best friend. And my husband found out that I talked to my best friend and he got really pissed at me. And then she came over. And so she was there as this like, I used her as my Mm. buffer with him. And it made things really awkward. And I hit a bottom because I was like, oh, you need to talk to the person you're upset with Mm. about what they did instead of making yourself look good to the other person and saying, oh, look what he did to me though. I'm such a good wife. I work so hard. I do all these things. This is true. And he also works hard and does things and we all make mistakes. For me, so I had, I knew someone years ago who told me something about someone in my community um, having to do with, an extramarital affair. So I had an idea of this person about whom she was speaking as someone who was not someone of questionable character, not someone to get close to. So I avoided this person. I didn't like this person. I made assumptions about this person. Um, I'm, she's like six years older than me and very like on the, like she, you know, very professional looking clean car, like very (laughs) together, you know? So I'm like, well, she's just a bitch, you know? Like she she just has her life together. She's so adult. Like she would never, like, I'm a goofball. Like we would never, you know, whatever. So years go by and we're sitting at a table one night and we just start talking because she's sitting next to me. So we're talking. Turns out she's like one of the coolest people that maybe I've ever met ever. Today she is my best friend. One night, we started talking about the incident that this other person told me about. And she said to me, the person who you were talking to has mental illness Mm. and had made up a whole story about what happened and told the community. Oh, wow. But it wasn't true. But because I had heard it and the seed was in my head, I could not look at, I looked at this woman through a screen. Right. When we finally got down to it, this woman today is my best friend in the world. Hmm. Who knows? I could have had four more years of her as my best friend so far, but I lost it because Hmm. I made assumptions about her. My point is that there is something to be gained from our character defects, which is why we keep them around for so long. And why even when we want to let them go, we kind of don't for a couple of reasons. The first is because they still serve us in some way. And the other, because we don't know who will be without them. I don't have Hmm. coping mechanisms other than what I've done. What's going to happen to me if I don't stew in silent anger when someone does something wrong? What do I do instead? What happens if someone is angry at me and I want to talk smack about them and tell my side of the story so that I feel better? What do I do? So in order to take step six, they're not saying, do you not like your defects or not? They're saying, are you entirely ready to get rid of them? 
And in a lot of cases, I have to say no, but I'm willing to be entirely ready. I want to be entirely ready. That's a beginning. So it says, we have emphasized willingness as being indispensable. Are we now ready to let God remove from us all the things which we have admitted are objectionable? Can he now take them all, every one? And if we still cling to something we will not let go, we ask God to help us be willing. These guys know. These, this was written by alcoholics. They know this is not as simple as it sounds. It says, you know, when things are removed from us, it's painful. You can be in pain or not change. It's like if you're taking your ego and killing it, that hurts. And we will do anything to avoid that pain. That's what we've done our entire life. That's why we did what we did, because even though we were causing ourselves pain, we didn't recognize ourselves as the source of it. And so to kill that pain, we were active in our addictions. Now, we're not active in our addictions, and we are still causing our own pain, but it's even more painful to change. And it really, I find that my, in my life, the truth is, the pain of staying the same has to be worse than the pain of changing before I'm willing to do anything about it. Which is like a really stupid way to live. <laughs> but it just is that way. And I find that way with most people too, you know? Only until the police come to me for not paying my taxes <laughs> am I willing to pay my taxes, you know? It's, it can really, you know, only until my husband says to me, I'm done. I'm going to go have sex with other women because you're not having sex with me. Am I willing to start having sex with my husband? You know, it's, it can be, obviously that's not true, but <laughs> my point is though, we sometimes let things get to a, a place and we have to let things get to a place where they're so painful that we're willing to change. And that's why I bless people. I hope you have enough pain sooner than later. Mm. That's, that's a blessing. And just like um, what Rayanne was saying before about, you know, God not judging, there are things in our lives that we need to happen to us to give us the, just the right amount of pain, that dosage. We need it. <laughs> and we can either resent that pain or use it as fuel. Mm -hmm. um, I've written here, we are as perfect as we can get away with, <laughs> um, which I can, that's, that's really, that's straight out of that book. It's... It's interesting. The other piece, too, that, we ta that I, I heard, there's a great, and I mentioned this to Kim, there's a great speaker. Um, why am I blanking on his name? You know who I'm talking about. Sandy B. Sandy B. Thank you. Um, Sandy B., if you can listen to him, he's on, like, recovery audio. He's the cat's meow. He's good stuff. So he, um, I, when I talk about, when I speak, I usually listen to him first and then steal everything he said. So there's one thing that I wrote a couple things I wrote here um, the first thing is when we have a success a spiritual success on our own devices it's actually a spiritual setback because we it grows my pride it teaches it's oh I can do this on my own look what I did versus being like in a place of humility and being taken to the next level I can't make real spiritual progress on my own me overcoming a defect, me resisting gossip one day, that's not a good sign. That's not going to help me in the long run. I would almost rather get caught gossiping, which happened to me this year, and be humble enough to say, mm. oh, God. And I'll tell you this story, too. This was, and this is in recovery. I had a friend <laughs> who years ago came to me and said, my husband's cheating. 
um, we're going to therapy, um, and she told me about everything, and she said, um, can you watch my kids? So I said, sure. So I took her kids, and I told my husband I told what was going on, because he was friends with the husband, and why are we watching their kids? Well, um, never told a soul. And I was actually very proud of the fact that I never told a soul. <laughs> and then, no, really. <laughs> and then, like, a couple of years ago, someone comes to me, not this person, and says, the husband's cheating again. Hmm. And um, it's someone in the community and this, this, and this. And I said, well, there's a history there. Mm. I, I contributed to that conversation. Fast forward a year, and I get a call from my, my friend. And she said, did you say anything to anyone? And I said, not real. No, I didn't tell anyone what happened. Mm. You know, I'd, I'd never, she's like, because people are talking about it this person is going around and telling all these people what happened. Like, did you say anything? And I said, I didn't say anything, but I did say something. <laughs> I did say, I said, there's a history there. I didn't go into details, but when she came to me and said this was happening, I said, it doesn't surprise me. My mistake was that I didn't keep my mouth shut. My first mistake was that I didn't shut down the conversation as soon as it started and say, listen, this is my friend, I can't talk about this. My second was that I participated. Why did I participate? Fear, um, for a variety of reasons. And I told, I told my friend the truth. And it's been weird ever since. But there is no better lesson to me about not wanting to gossip anymore than me just being all high and mighty saying, I really can't talk about this. I can't talk about this. And then calling my sponsor and be like, guess what I did? I didn't, I didn't have the conversation that I was invited to. <laughs> I guarantee you, I will never talk about other people's married lives again. Can I? Yeah, just jump in. Go from here. Go, go for I? it, yeah. <clears throat> so, the, because there's so little in the big book about six and seven, I rely on the 12 and 12. And I was just reading this line. For us, the process of gaining a new perspective was unbelievably painful. Mm-hmm. It was only by repeated humiliations that we were forced to learn something about humility. Mm-hmm. The important thing is, and the way Rhea shared that lesson, is that Bill helps us to understand that humiliation is necessary. Mm-hmm. It actually becomes a blessing. Again, only if you're willing to keep walking the road. You can absolutely use it to do what you used to do, mm-hmm. right? But this is a, te- I mean, I hate this phrase, but it's true, it's a teachable moment. It is, so one, the basic ingredient of all humility, a desire to seek and to do God's will. Nobody walked in this room on day one and said, I'm here to get a bigger God, <laughs> right? No, I kid. I can't. Maybe I don't listen. Y'all have your reasons. Everybody, we all have our own reasons for walking in this room. I wanted to look good naked. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> Not a bigger god, a smaller ass. Exactly. Okay. Thank you. Exactly. So, so when you went, so now you've told the truth. You see who you are. You've sat in your quiet, and you are willing to look at all of the resentments and the harms and the fears that you've now shared with another human being. The reason I said when I, in the fifth step, you usually find out 
the things that you should have found out while you were doing the fifth step. I say that because six and seven in my world is to take every single person on your list, including your sexual inventory, and you say the sick man's prayer for them on your knees until you can release them, until you are no longer hooked by their memory. For every fear that you have, you say the fear prayer, which is on 68, and I'm going to say it for you the way we say it. Mm, 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 mm. God, please remove my fear of being unloved and direct my attention to what you would have me be. Demonstrate through me what you can do. Help me at once to outgrow my fear of being unloved until you are no longer hooked. Some of them I prayed for months, but some of them, the minute I said it, I was like, wow, I've been holding on to nothing, mm-hmm. right? It's like thinking that cotton candy is a protein. It was nothing. <laughs> the... <clears throat> The humiliations, the things that I could not face, that I could not believe of myself, I wanted desperately, right, to have a better past, Mm. right? Those were necessary to my evolution Mm. to recognize I made a decision and it wasn't to hit a number or a size. I made a decision to do God's will, Mm -hmm. to serve God. That's insane if you think about day one. Like, that is, mm -mm, no, that's not why I came in here. As an alcoholic, I came in to stop vomiting so hard that I would burst the capillaries in my face. For instance, (laughs) right? That was just a, you know, a cosmetic issue. Never mind all the other things that were on the list. So when I know that the, own, the basic ingredient of all humility is a desire to seek and do God's will. And if that is missing, I may not have, I will not have a genuine reliance upon a higher power. Which is why they say in step six, we humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. We're Seven. not just asking. Seven. Sorry. That's right. Yeah. What, which is why humiliations is a big part of seven in the 12 and 12. And... The other reality is, so we, say, so we understand that we're powerless, and now the, fa- the power is moving back in, and we tell God, you know, I'm ready to have you take this, and he does, and we think, well, thank God I never have to do that again. Oh, until I take my will back, and I'm an asshole, and I think I'm right, and I get self-righteous, and I don't want to go to work, and stop calling me sponsees. Like, there's a plethora of things that will take me right back there. Right back there. Because our will is strong. You are powerless. We are powerless over the substances we chose to give us immediate relief and comfort. Mm-hmm. Immediate ease and comfort. And now what we find is this is the easier, softer way. Right? It is so much easier in the moment to know I'm an asshole than to sit for years and wonder if, if that's true, right? Yeah. And let a sponsor tell me in my fifth step, yep, yep, you were an asshole, that's true. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Um, 
We should jump into seven because we only have. I am in seven. Left. You're officially in seven. Uh, yeah, that's why We're I said, can I just go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go. Yeah, that's in seven. Okay. <laughs> that's why I said seven. Okay, you with me? I have five kids. To complete, I got you. <laughs> so, this is th- this line I read recently, and I and I, I fainted. You know, in my way, um, to get completely away from our aversion to the idea of being humble, to gain a vision of humility as the avenue to true freedom of the human spirit. Mm. To be willing to work for humility as something to be desired for itself mm-hmm. takes most of us a long, long time. Mm. There were few people with as much ego as Bill Wilson. Mm-hmm. And God bless him, everybody around him knew it. Mm-hmm. And they, because he said, I want you to tell me the truth. Right, that's what you say to a sponsor. I want you to tell me the truth as you see it, knowing that God is everything. I want you to tell me the truth. That's what we say to our home groups. I, I ask anyone I am in program with that I sponsor and my sponsor to speak in recovered terms. Tell me the truth with love and compassion. Tell me who you see based on what I've told you is my design for living. So to ask humbly to have God remove this defective character, I have to go back to the decision I made in three. And I want to do the prayer and I'll come back to it. We can, go, we can keep digging in. But I want you to know that at the end of this third step prayer, there is no amen. Because, and I tell them, I tell all my sponsors this, as we say this third step prayer, you are opening a prayer that will protect you and guide you through your seventh step. So that when we come together again for the seventh step prayer, we will close this process by saying, my creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defective character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. As I go out from here, in my mind, every time I see that prayer, I have my arch in my mind. Because I walk through that arch a free person. Because I was willing to see the truth about myself and others to see and bless their imperfections. We are perfectly flawed. But only our ego thinks that our defects are a good idea. Only our ego believes that our defects are protecting us from something, when in truth they are separating us from God. Mm -hmm. And some days I'm okay with that. I'm sorry to say, some days I am sitting in my self-righteous anger in my room with my stuff just like this because I want to be right. And God just laughs and laughs. So when you're done, you know, pouting, perhaps we could get on with it, right? Because here's what we are told. We will be rocketed into a fourth dimension, catapulted into a life beyond your wildest dreams. If just being skinny was all we needed. Jenny Craig is your friend. But that's not what we come here to do. We come here to love ourselves and to allow others to love us. 
because we serve a higher power where we have no opinion, right? When we talk about in the, in the traditions, we have no opinion on outside issues. I've got too many sponsors, sponsees who call me and go, okay, guess what he said? I said, none of your business. But you see my mom, none of my business. Well, see, here's what I was thinking. None of your business. Don't think, please, God, Jesus, don't think. I, the first thing I ask sponsees is don't have any good ideas. They've all been had. <laughs> right? They've all been had. The adventure is to come in here and to be willing to let God show us what it's going to be. Right? I don't know if you like roller coasters. I love them. Right? So I want to get in the first seat of the first car, lock the sissy bar down, and throw my arms in the air and scream like a girl. Because I know I am not in control. And once I know that for sure, and that I am loved and protected no matter what, even through pain and grief, loss, shock, trauma, I know that God is good all the time. And I just have to live with what, you know, he thinks is adorable for me. Can I jump in? I'm done. Okay. <laughs> so when the seventh step is very close to my heart because they talk about how in, in step five, this is when we start to have a spiritual experience. For me, when I, the day I did my, I did a fifth step and it took the whole day. And it was interesting because my husband had my kids for the whole day, so I was like, okay, so I'm gonna be on when we get home. By some miracle, my husband, who is a night owl, he's up till midnight at earliest every night, he and my two boys, I have three now, but two at the time, were all asleep by seven. It might have to do with the fact that he had them all day, but um, <laughs> they were all asleep by 7 p.m., which is unheard of. It's never happened before and it's never happened since. So I was like, well, great, now I can do my six and seven. So I get in a chair and I start in my meditation. And to this day, I remember it. I had a knowledge of the presence of God in and around me. Like I was a fish in the water wow. with a knowledge that just as I know Rayanne is sitting to me, next to me right now, I knew God is there. I have no idea what God is. There was no shape, form, weight. I couldn't touch it, but I knew it was in and around me. And I sat there and took my six and seven knowing that I was with God. The channel was open. Mm -hmm. I, have, you, I don't have that experience every single day, but I can't unhave that experience. Mm -hmm. And once I have experienced that truth, it changes everything. It really does. And I was not able to have it until I had done this work, until I had done one through seven. And that knowledge took me into the rest of the steps and is what guides me now. That is the point of the steps. It is not for me to feel better. That is a byproduct. <laughs> it is for me to make contact on a conscious level with God, the God of my understanding. Because when I have made that contact, all of this is no longer just a theory. It's real. It's not just, oh, okay, well, I'll just act like I have faith. There's a difference between having faith and knowing that something is there. Mm -hmm. I can have faith in it now because I know it exists. I had it. 
I experienced it. Even if it, it feels remote sometimes, it's not natural for me to be in that God sphere all the time. If I did, I'd be in like Tibet in like a monastery or something. Um, but that's, I live in the real world. That's, but I have a knowledge that God is here. And it came because of this work as the direct result of it as soon as I was done. That's all I can really tell you. That is the point of this. It's not to come in here and have a thin body. It's not to stop throwing up, although that was a nice thing to stop doing. Um, it's not to have good relationships. It's any of the promises that they give you. It is a byproduct of what this is. It is for us to meet our maker, to take, to join hands with her, him, it, whatever it is, and let them, like I'm a toddler and my mom just held her hand out and I took it and let them lead me the rest of the way. Forever. Amen. And that's it.